Today's episode is brought to you by Mom Boss Marketing. Are you tired of the endless struggle of creating the perfect resume? Do you find yourself lost in a sea of words, not knowing what to say or how to phrase it? Or are you wondering what experience to include on your resume and what to leave out? I understand, and I'm here to help. Hi, I'm Jennifer with Mom Boss Marketing, and I have over 15 years of corporate experience in HR, finance, and project management. I know the ins and outs of the job market, and I'm here to make your job search easier. My professional resume service tailors your experience to the job you want using the language employers love to hear. I understand the systems in place that read and process your resume, and I'm here to ensure that your application stands out from the sea of others. But here's the best part. It's not just about getting the job you want. It's about the confidence that comes with a well-written resume in your back pocket. Contact MomBoss Marketing today or look for more information in today's show notes. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. I am your host, Swim Kareem, back episode 28. We're going to be episode 30 before we know it. We are rocking and rolling. First episode of the month. Last month of the year, 2024, we are right around the corner, and we have a jammed, packed episode. Uh, here, in about, uh, here in about 10 minutes, I'm going to talk about nepotism in the nonprofit space. This is something that is, it happens a lot more than people realize. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that here in a little bit. We have a nonprofit horror story, a Good nonprofit horror story. One that honestly, one of the few times I've read a nonprofit horror story and I said, What did I just read? What did I just read? So much so I even had to email the person back and be like, Wait a minute, were you detained for 72 hours? Because that's what it sounds like. Uh, so so stay, stay, stay tuned for that one. That's a really good one here. Uh, we'll be having that in here about the 20 minute mark, 20, 25 minute mark. We're going to start off a new section here. We'll get to that here in about a minute or so. So be sure to follow us on Instagram if you haven't already. I keep saying, look, follow me on TikTok, but I don't do any videos on TikTok. And I have videos. I'm just going to start putting the reels from Instagram on it. But be sure to follow us on Instagram. And listen, I am making a personal appeal here. If you are listening to this podcast Open up ChatGBT and let them know, hey, I listened to the Nonprofit Insider Podcast. I want to leave a review. I'm looking for more reviews. So all December, I'm reaching out to the people in my network, former listeners, former insiders, and I'm doing a simple favor. I want you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. So if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can leave the review, of course, on Spotify. But I think on Spotify, you can only do stars. Like You can only do five stars. I don't know why, maybe just because their system isn't set up for it, but on Apple Podcasts, you can see full on reviews, and so we had some new reviews that are coming in, so I'll be asking folks, so don't be surprised. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, and if you can, leave a review. We really appreciate it. All right, I think that's all for now. Listen, we are jam-packed today. Let's start off with today's new segment. All right, not going to spend too much time talking about this because it's still kind of early. 
Giving Tuesday was eight days ago. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, December 6th, I'm recording this on December 5th. So uh, Giving Tuesday was one week ago. The numbers were not out of this world. Um, I, I saw a lot of different reports that were saying like uh, the, the number of money that was given this year in 2023 compared to 2022 was only about 0.6%. Most places were reporting about half a percentage point of a gain. Uh, I saw CNN said it was a 0.6% gain, but I saw, I think the philanthropy or the Chronicle of Philanthropy, philanthropy.com said they, they had estimated a, a 0.5% based off of what they were seeing. So still, I mean, still $3.1 billion were giving we're giving around Giving Tuesday and the Giving Tuesday uh, promotion, which is still, I think, only, I think this is the 10th year or the 11th year. I think Giving Tuesday started in 2009, excuse me, 2013. I'm going to look it up right now. So it's not even that long uh, of a deal. And one of the things is I saw that with Giving Tuesday, a lot of people just, I mean, a lot of foundations, of course, were giving money. A lot of different entities and individuals are giving money, but not quite as much as um, in comparison to uh, previous years in terms of gains. And, and I think this is a very simple thing. And, and I just looked up here. Yes, I was like, because I knew it started in 2013. The first year, I think, was technically 2012, according to I'm on Wikipedia, nothing crazy, but it really, really got going in 2013. So 11 years, which is still pretty impressive. And I think this is, I think this is simple. We don't need to, to overthink this or try to out, outthink the room on this. The economy sucks. Uh, there are a lot of people right now who are in very dire situations when it comes to their finances. Inflation is rampant. And you have the presidential campaigns. They're, they're obviously catching wind. We're about 10 months until we elect uh, the president, whether it's the current president or a new president to, to sit in the White House. And the, the number one thing on people's mind right now over and over that I see from countless polls, countless surveys, is the economy. And like with anything, if you have $1,000 of spare money, and in the past you used to give, say, $100 in tide, you know, 10%, maybe to your local church group, or maybe to your local um, boys and girls club, maybe to your local senior citizens group, whatever the, 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 the your local uh, opera, whatever the organization may be, if that $1,000 now really has more of a value that is comparable to, say, $850, you, you just don't give as much. Because you want to make sure your kids get something, your, your grandkids get something for Christmas, you still got to pay heating bills, Everything just goes up. And so when the price of things go up, it's no surprise that you're not going to see a major gain around Giving Tuesday. So no need to outthink the room on this one. There are a lot of interesting numbers that are out there. And again, this is all raw because Giving Tuesday was just a week ago. So I think you're going to see um, those numbers. Maybe they'll, they'll tick up a little bit, maybe closer to a 1% gain. I was talking to... A, a high-level, high-level financial uh, development chief out of the Missouri area in the Midwest. Uh, a lot of money, for those that don't know. If, you, if you're used to, like, San Francisco or 
Miami or New York and things like that. There's a lot of money in that uh, St. Louis area. Of course, Chicago gets all the love. They're the third largest city in America. But there, there's a lot of money in that St. Louis area. And, and she leads a very big operation, bringing in about $28 million a year. I mean, she gives me some great insight. She's a true nonprofit insider. And, and she was just saying, yeah, we, we're asked to raise a lot of money, but um, like with a lot of things these time of the year, it's not quite, never, not that it was ever easy, but you, you got you to gotta be a little bit more convincing. So the top salespeople out there, those um, movers and shakers are making some gains. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try to keep up with Giving Tuesday maybe in two weeks. We'll, we'll give another insight. But no surprise that despite having a massive success, $3.1 billion around Giving Tuesday, there weren't really too many dramatic gains um, when, when compared with the previous years. Hey, listeners, it's Jennifer again with Mom Boss. Do you know what a digital resume is? Imagine this. Carrying your work experience and expertise via a QR code on your business card. Stand out from the competition and propel yourself into the digital world when you network at hiring events. Your potential employers can simply scan your QR code, instantly accessing your comprehensive resume. This is the future of job searching. Let me help you land a job you're happy in, boosting your earning potential and providing you with a modern and innovative edge. Contact MomBoss today and let's build your future together. Visit our website at www.mombossmarketingabq.com or find us on socials at mombossmarketingabq. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at the Nonprofit Insider if you haven't already because last week I did a poll and I asked people on my Instagram stories, what should today's topic be about? Do you want to hear me talk about nonprofit nepotism? Or do you want to hear me talk about getting fired in the nonprofit space? And we had a lot of people come back here saying that they wanted to hear about nepotism. So we're definitely going to get into that over these next 10, 12 minutes. And, and real fast, big shout out to Sarah at social.puzzle. Uh, you can find her on Instagram. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well. She does social media for nonprofits. And so... Uh, no ads or anything like that, but you know, she has some good stuff. So check it out. I like a lot of the things I've been following her for a while now. And she had, it's funny because she had messaged me. She said, oh yeah, definitely talk about nonprofit nepotism because, and I quote, my favorite sarcasm is when they hire donors, kids to work in the development office. Uh, I, I do see that a lot in the development space. So shout out to Sarah, uh, shout out to everyone that's following me on Instagram. And you know, one of the things I wanted to do, I wanted to kind of start off real basic of what is nepotism? And I know we have about 24, 25 days left in the month, and then we're going to ring in 2024. And it's around this time last year when New York Magazine, they dubbed 2022 the year of nepotism. And they did a little bit of like an expose on the number of Hollywood stars and starlets that were really rising to fame that have famous dads or moms or uncles. And just an interesting article from New York Magazine, it had me thinking of, you know, we have a, a sense of what nepotism is. If you go to anyone in, in America right now or anyone in the world of, and you ask them what nepotism is, they're going to give you to a degree much of the same answer. And even in my research, really taking a look at what is nepotism, there's a 
little bit of a different definition for for every single uh, organization out there, depending on where you look. But one thing I saw was nepotism is the act of granting an advantage to relatives or close associates like friends. I think, honestly, that's a simple sentence that has a really great uh, definition of what nepotism is. Now, you can go into deeper layers in it, but just the act of granting an advantage to relatives or close associates, I think, is, is a really good definition. And in the workplace, we often connect nepotism in a fashion of uh, we often connect it with hiring and we connect it with people being put in positions of power or pay, pay or influence or anything like that. And the, the term nepotism originated with, with the assignment of nephews being appointed to important positions from Catholic popes and bishops. And actually, I was surprised by that because the Latin root of nepos is nephew. And according to what I've been seeing is it was around uh, like 1300s, 1400s, and I'm sure even before then, Catholic popes and bishops, because they, they have a vow of celibacy, they would appoint their nephews, you know, obviously no nieces because women cannot be in positions of power, uh, that's sarcasm. Don't don't uh, don't come after me. I don't want you coming after me. But yeah, you get to this of like popes putting their nephews in positions of power, um, influence, and reaping a lot of the advantages of society at the time because they did themselves didn't have children. Where kings, as we know, they would you know die off or they would give their sons or their grandsons power. Uh, again, women were not allowed in a lot of these. Uh, arenas of power to assume some of those rules. So that's why it's uh, nepotism and not nisotism. I think Latin, Latin root, I think I looked was nisa. So that's the history of we, of uh, where the, the word nepotism even comes from. So I thought that was very interesting. And nepotism has no limit to its reach. It can be in hiring, it can be in the assignments that are given. And I'm talking mainly in a work environment, but it can be to the assignments that are given. It could be to travel preferences. It could be to, if you're in sales, a portfolio. Maybe a close friend of yours gets the, the good portfolio of all the good sales leads and not the bad sales leads. Even in modern day, it could be related to who works from home and who doesn't work from home. Who gets an interview and who doesn't get an interview. And you see it in all realms of, of society. You see it in politics, especially. You see it in business, especially. You see it in religion. You see it in entertainment, like uh, movies, like I just said with the New York Magazine. But it's a little known secret that the nonprofit space is littered with nepotism. And there are two areas of perpetrators that I see this a lot. No surprise, you're going to see this with executive directors. If you're a nonprofit and you're the head honcho, can I say head honcho? You're the head honcho of your nonprofit and you're an executive director and the buck stops with you, you have a lot of influence. You have a lot of power. And so a lot of executive directors will have uh, those abilities to say, hey, 
Maybe I'm not going to be the ultimate decision maker. Maybe I have a committee or maybe I have a finance director or operations person that's going to make those decisions. But if that executive director comes into your office or gets on a Zoom meeting with you and says, hey, I want you to take a look at this person and that person is their cousin, whether you know it's their cousin or not, that's risky business. That, that's risky business. But the area that I oftentimes see and hear as the biggest perpetrator of nepotism in the nonprofit space are board members. Are board members. There are a lot of board members, board chairs, board members, um, de facto presidents of boards that have a lot of power in uh, society. And just like with anything, wherever you're on the board of CBS News or CNN News, the board of Apple. A lot of people know Tim Cook because he's the CEO of Apple. He has a lot of power. But a lot of those board members on Apple, a lot of those stockholders, they can wield, like the, like the magical hand of capitalism, they can wield a lot of influence. And more often than not, it's the board members who say, hey, listen, I've donated $10,000 because I like the cause and I work in spend a lot of energy working with your nonprofit and helping this nonprofit. My nephew is interested in, 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 in that internship. Can he apply? And sometimes it's subtle like that. Can he apply? But it could be a, a even more forceful of, hey, I think we should give it to him. So that's where I oftentimes hear a lot of stories, a lot of nonprofit horror stories of nepotism in the nonprofit space is from board chairs and board members. And I remember, here's a, here's a funny example real quick. I remember I was working at a nonprofit and the nonprofit was looking for a new building. They were looking for a new real estate space way before COVID. And one of the things is the board chair and the executive director pretty much colluded to get a new real estate space. And so they ended up paying, from my understanding, from, from you know, I wasn't in the books like that. You know, I didn't know all the ins and outs, but from what I recall... And what I heard from the people that were really higher up in the organization, that they overpaid. Not only did they overpay for this rental place, but they, they ended up signing for too many years. They signed like an eight-year contract or something like that, where a nonprofit of its size and scale should have probably looked at a four, maybe a five-year contract and see where they're at. Because a lot of nonprofits, you're not able to really have the budgeting and the money to really predict what you're going to look like after five years. And they, this is an organization, they've been around for a while, but still signing an eight-year lease and signing it at over market price. And, and, I, and, and I also heard that they didn't get a lot of good input from others in the organization. It was just kind of one of those things, we're going to do this. And so, listen, one of the things is if you're a nonprofit, and, and I, we'll wrap it up here in about three, four minutes. If you're a nonprofit you can set up a policy to avoid these things. And a lot, of, a lot of nonprofits do this. And one of the things is as we're talking about nepotism, um, companies do a lot of this often. They have um, conflict of interest policies and they'll have like nepotism kind of factored and baked and layered into this. So you can set up a policy and it's not hard to do. And it's one of those things, look, if you do have a legit family member or friend that would be good for the role, that doesn't mean you have to knock them out of a competition. You just want it to be as fair and above board as possible. 
And that's one of the things. It's not like your nonprofit can't hire your cousin Earl or Muhammad to, to be a part of the team or join the board. But if it's not a fair competition, if it's not open, there can be a lot of ramifications of this. And one of the areas that you see a lot of nonprofits do is that they'll do this during the screening process when you apply, right? Because hiring, as we know, and filling open roles is the biggest area. So a lot of nonprofits, one of the things they'll do is they'll just say, hey, do you have any family members that work here? And you have a little box, yes or no. If yes, can you put their name down? That honestly is a good start because that is that allows your nonprofit just just less, and it's a small thing, right? But it allows a small layer that if that board, um, if you have an independent committee or independent uh, consulting group come in to take a look at some of your practices, you're seeing this a lot of this with DEI right now. They'll look at applications and they'll see how many of these people that have family members were hired were hired. If it's a high percentage, then that nonprofit needs to consider taking another look at their practices. If I don't know, I'm just making up a number. If 20% of all people who are family members get hired and the industry average is closer to 10%, that's not good. And like I said, there are a lot of ramifications in, in, in having nepotism in the nonprofit space. You can have a, a perception of favoritism. You can have Infighting, that's something that happens a lot. You can have a higher level of gossiping. We talked about gossiping a couple episodes back, I think episode like 17 or something like that, where your nonprofit, you're hiring family and friends. Well, there's going to be infighting and gossiping because of that. You can have a loss of talent. Those people get fed up and they say, fuck it, I'm leaving. <laughs> Screw this. You can have poor program management. You can just have poor work overall. You, you could create an environment where your programs are bad, your work is bad, um, things just don't aren't good when you have too much of this. And this is the ultimate, the ultimate thing when thinking about nonprofit nepotism. You can have a slow demise of your nonprofit because if it happens too much and things don't change in a good fashion, you're not only going to lose the talent, you're not only going to have poor work, but eventually your nonprofit's going to die. And either you're growing and advancing or, or you're slowing and dying. And too much nonprofit nepotism will cause your nonprofit to die. It will die. But for me, for my money, the, 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 the major result... Of, I mean, because there's a lot. We can talk about all the different effects that come with um, nonprofit nepotism. But my major, major result for my money, I'm not. I'm just not going to take your organization or you seriously. And I think that's the seed of doubt that comes with nonprofit nepotism. There's always that question whether you're a Holly, whether you're. Nicholas Cage and your uh, uncle is uh, the, the the director of Godfather. Whether you're who's she was in Batman, I cannot remember her name. Very attractive, um, Lenny Kravitz's daughter. You what is her name? What is Lenny Kravitz's daughter's name? You know her name. She was in the Batman movie with Robert Pattinson. Gorgeous. Um, there's always a seed of doubt, even if you are really talented, even if you are really good. Of, eh, but their dad was such and such. 
their grandfather was such and such. And so, yeah, there's just a level of not taking you and your organization seriously in the nonprofit space if you're riddled with nonprofit nepotism. You can't see this right now, but I'm actually drinking a cup of tea. Lemon ginger tea, to be exact. <laughs> and, and whether I'm podcasting or reading a book for our rapid fire books selection, I like to have a cup of tea from artoftea.com. Artoftea.com is your one-stop shop for all things tea-related. Now, for me, I like a good caffeine-free tea, so their Pacific Coast Mint Tea and their French Lemon Ginger Tea, it hits the spot. In fact, I'm, I'm drinking that right now. But they have a well-crafted selection of matcha, chai, iced, and holiday teas that are oh so good. And right now, ArtofTea.com has a divine selection of gift box teas perfect for the tea drinkers in your life, whether they are aficionados or just starting off in this realm. And for our nonprofit insiders, because you are an insider, jump down to the show notes to get 10% off your next Art of Tea purchase today. You've had some of the rest. Now try one of the best. Click the link in the show notes to save 10% off your next tea purchase today. Let's get back to the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to our final segment of the day, our favorite segment of every episode we ever do, the nonprofit horror story. And listen, we're really catching steam here. Uh, <laughs> they, they say when people start the debate, things on social media, that's usually a good sign. <laughs> and I have posted a nonprofit horror story on Instagram about a former insider or from a former insider who shared a story where she needed to get some documents signed. And one of the board members for this nonprofit organization said, hey, I'm not in the city right now, but if you need me to get it signed, I can hop on my private plane and I can come from a state away and I can sign these documents. And this caught a little bit of steam actually on Instagram to where someone was like, I don't get it. What's so horrific about having a board member that basically has the resources to, to come and do these things? And listen, these stories are horrific to you as the, as the person who experiences it, right? And depending on your values or what you appreciate or what you like in the world or what you honestly don't, what you don't like, it, it can be horrific. And so I think there is something a little bit horrific when you have a, a person working at a, at a job in a nonprofit, maybe making $40,000 and the board member is that's that's play money to them. So uh, listen, everybody's different. Everyone's story is a little bit different. And depending on if you're an environmentalist, maybe you're like, you know what? I clear about global warming and the rate at which we're moving. There's something horrific about hopping on a private plane just to sign a document. So anyway, every, everybody's story is a little bit different. And so I'm excited for this next nonprofit horror story. And this is one that when I got the submission, I was like, I actually needed a couple extra weeks to prepare for this. Because I said, wow, this story really hits at a level that I, I did not see coming. And, and real fast, this submission comes from a person in, in the Mountain West who wanted to stay anonymous. And 
like I said, wow, wow, what, what a story. And I can tell you all that this person who shared this story this week, uh, they, they work in a very great space of societal needs, and they are doing some great work. Don't want to put too much information out there, but they are doing some great work working with um, some high-level people doing some high-level things in a part of society that um, really deserves even more attention. Again, don't want to say too much, but this is a person I'm hoping to stay connected with this person for some time because just talking with them even briefly, uh, I, I can see they are what the nonprofit space really needs. So for today's nonprofit horror story, we have Mariah. Mariah writes. This happened to me when I was, quote, working, technically volunteering, for an international non-governmental agency or NGO back in 2016. I had moved across the Pacific to Thailand and had fundraised and saved to support myself while working with an anti-trafficking NGO that shall remain unnamed. I had moved in August and had been in communication with the HR slash volunteer manager, waiting for references and things to come back so I could officially begin volunteering. Randomly, in September, I was called to a meeting with the HR manager and the head of the aftercare program. Over coffee, they told me they were waiting for a reference, but they had an opportunity for me. You see, they were short-staffed, but an issue had arisen that seemed perfect for me as a soon-to-be volunteer without many commitments at the moment. One of the clients who had entered the country illegally had been, quote, rescued and in the aftercare program, and they needed someone to travel with her back to her home country, a short flight and a long drive away. Being young and adventurous and always so helpful, would we say naive, maybe? I agreed and asked very few questions. The day comes and this teen, who I will call Noon, a teenager, and I boarded the plane. I had the equivalent of about 100 USD and Thai bat, very little Thai vocab, and instructions that, quote, if anything goes wrong, I am to act as though I am not with noon, this teenager. Thai security, where we thought issues might arise, goes smoothly. The flight goes smoothly. We exit the plane at the destination, and then... I am aware of uniformed security following us. Then another, then another, then another. Suddenly, we are surrounded in order to follow the security team. Luckily, we had no checked bags as this was to be a short flight. We are bored through a bathroom and out to a truck. Without much conversation, we are driven in the pickup bed to the airport's main immigration office off-site. I don't speak the language, they don't speak English, and noon can only roughly translate both. The gist is, we've been flagged and must remain with immigration until things can be sorted. We are then driven to a different office, the main building in the capital of this country. To give a picture, this area we are in is similar to an American office park. Lots of office buildings, no homes, no tourists or entertainment venues of any kind, 
except the solidary hotel across from the immigration office. We are given a single room barely wider than the two twin beds inside. No windows, a small bathroom with a toilet, and a shower head in the wall. We are told to remain here until they bring us for questioning. Three days. We wait in this room for three days. Neither of us knowing what is happening. No food, no clean water, using Google Translate to attempt to communicate. Periodically, we are pulled in car- Periodically, we are pulled across the street and questioned. Again, neither of us really able to communicate until a translator was brought in. It turned out they had thought she was being smuggled into this country illegally, not the other way around. Part of why there was such a long internment period was because they needed to contact Noon's distant relatives in this country to bring proof of birthplace, which they took three days. Part of why there was such a long internment period was because they needed to contact Noon's distant relatives in the country to bring proof of birthplace, which took three days between contacting them and their arrival in the capital. Eventually, they let us leave. Her uncle fed us and helped us coordinate our bus ride to our final destination. Everything worked out eventually. Noon was able to start the aftercare program in her home country. I was able to connect with the caseworkers in said country I would be working with from afar, and I got to see a beautiful new place. But this was definitely one of the wildest experiences of my life. Upon return to Thailand, I started my full-time position on the case management and volunteer team. And I did, for a long time after, always carry an extensive amount of food with me. Thank you, Mariah, for sending in this really wild story. And it's so wild because... (laughs) When I, when I first read it, and she said that she was uh, in this sort of kind of hotel and like tournament room for three days. I was like, wait a minute. Were you basically detained for three days? And she never in that in that story used that word detained. But I messaged her back because I said, listen, I'm still processing this. This was 24 hours after reading the first time. I said, I'm still processing this. I said, it sounds like you were detained. And it was funny because she said, you know, reading my response, meaning my email response to her, she was like, oh, you know what? It was actually pretty validating because, you know, she said, I was trying to think of something uh, a little bit stateside that was a little bit lighter, but this was the first thing that came to her mind. And so I appreciate her sharing that because I think one of the things in the nonprofit space it doesn't always happen to this level or this degree, but a lot of times in the nonprofit space, when we're young, we're fresh, we're bushy-tailed, we can take on things that are a little outside of the scope of what we can handle or what we think we can handle. And so reading this story, it's clear this person, this teenager noon, some form of trafficking going on, they're in another country, and they need to return from their country that that, that she's... We believe to be, she's trafficked it in, 
to her home country of Thailand. And the, the security team thinks that she's being smuggled into the country when really she's returning home to where she where she's from. And so, th- listen, this is one of those stories that has a, a lot of elements. We know there's a lot of stories and a lot of beliefs and opinions around trafficking, what that looks like, some of the aspects behind it. Um, and, and yeah, to, to, to know you're working with this NGO, you get detained. They think this person's being, quote unquote, illegally smuggled into this country. You're with this person. You don't speak the language. You don't have any money. I can just imagine being, and she didn't tell me how old she was when this happened, but you know, if you're 21, if you're, if you're like in that early 20s, honestly, honestly, even if you're in like your 30s experiencing this, um, whew, yeah, that's definitely a horror story for, for so many folks because I can just imagine how you're feeling, how you're thinking. Um, good grief. So thank you again, Mariah, for sharing this story. If you have a nonprofit horror story, and again, it doesn't have to be horrific to anyone but you. If it's something that happened in a nonprofit space to where you were detained for three days, or as I've mentioned on, on a couple of previous episodes, you are at a, a nonprofit event and your executive director gets drunk off of whiskey, right? We want to hear it. Reach out to me. You can DM me. You can find me on Instagram. You can email me at the nonprofit insider podcast at gmail i have that all in the show notes because we want to be able to share more stories that really show some of the different aspects of being in the nonprofit space so thank you maria um holy scamoles all right i think that's enough for today's episode listen we are going to be right back at it two weeks from now it's december be sure to leave me a review on apple Podcasts. Uh, hit five stars on spotify if you haven't already I'm trying to get the 10 reviews and just keep going from there. We appreciate all the work that you're doing in the nonprofit space. Keep it up. The industry needs folks like you. Uh, and we'll see you here in two weeks. Take care. Before you get out of here, let me tell you about my friends at Red Rock Roasters. Founded in 1993, Red Rock Roasters is a family-owned, multi-generational coffee speciality store based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And they have such good coffee. They have an Ethiopian coffee called Sand Hill Winter Blend that smells absolutely divine. And the taste, it's the holiday season, and let's be real, getting gifts is hard. Getting coffee Now, that's easy, but only if you get it from the right place. Follow Red Rock Roasters on Instagram, link in the show notes, or visit them at redrockroasters.com. They have a wonderful selection of coffee, accessories, and merchandise you simply cannot lose on. And best of all, free shipping with a $50 purchase. So you can get your neighbor, your friend, or your favorite nonprofit work bestie a bag of coffee and get you one or two as well. No coupon needed. Don't waste any more time. Head over to Red Rock Roasters today to get your perfect cup of joe. Details in the show notes.